The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. Today, I'm talking with Chip Rose, who is the president of the Academy of Professional Family Mediators. And I asked Chip to be on the show because he is a family mediator who's been doing this for many, many, many years and can tell us some of the history of family mediation, at least in the United States. So, Chip, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Where's your practice? What would you like people to know about you? Well, thank you, Virginia, for inviting me on your show. Um, My practice is in uh, Santa Cruz, California, beautiful Santa Cruz, California. Um, I've been here since 1975. I started my mediation practice uh, out of my then law practice uh, in 1980, so it's been uh, some 36 years now that I've been uh, practicing mediation, and I would say it's been at least um, 20 of those years that I've done nothing but mediation, uh, limited my practice to family mediation, which um, I thoroughly enjoy, and I enjoy it as much, if not more now, than when I was first trying to figure out what, I, what the heck I was supposed to do as a mediator. <laughs> 1980 sounds like about the time family mediation popped up and appeared in multiple parts of the United States. Is that right? Yes, my, my understanding uh, is that it, it sort of, I mean, obviously the concept of mediation has been around uh, for millennia, but family mediation as it's, as it's uh, currently um, referred to um, really began in the, in the late 70s in um, Atlanta, Georgia, when uh, uh, an attorney named O.J. Kugler was going through, I think, his third divorce and decided that the court system was no place to take a family matter and uh, sat down and created uh, a very rigid, structured mediation process that would allow the participants to take responsibility for selling their own case. Um, Steve Erickson uh, is one of the first people that I know as a young man who went to Georgia to learn how to do this uh, kind of work. And uh, Steve has been a board member of APFM, previously a board member of uh, the Academy of Family Mediators, and uh, a good friend and colleague uh, who really has been there since the very beginning. His wife, Marilyn McKnight, I understand, is also going to be a guest on your show today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the process took off, and I think um, uh, like-minded uh, people who were, well, it really broke into sort of two categories. One category was legal professionals who, um, by and large, were um, not um, enjoying their role as adversarial attorneys in divorce cases and saw mediation as an opportunity to 
engage in a much more constructive and client-beneficial approach towards resolving marriage issues. And, um, uh, and then mental health professionals who um, also saw the benefit of bringing a process rather than a set of procedures to dealing with uh, relationship issues. And in the early stages of the development of the Academy of Family Mediators, which was the first organization nationally that, um, uh, that focused on the practice of family mediation, um, there was a kind of competition between lawyers and mental health professionals as to who more appropriately owned the process. Uh, all of this seems like ancient history at this point, but at the time there were some significant territorial battles over whether it was uh, a mental health process or whether it was a legal process. I- I'm grateful that we're no longer engaged in those kinds of um, territorial uh, warfares. Um, I was disappointed, to be perfectly honest, that, that once I became involved um, in in the practice and then ultimately became involved in a national organization, which was my first AFM conference in uh, 1990, um, I was somewhat disappointed that more of my colleagues, more of my legal professional colleagues, uh, didn't embrace mediation. And I think in part it was due to the fact that to do mediation really well uh, requires you to unlearn a lot of things that you had to learn to become a good lawyer. And a lot of colleagues just weren't willing to do that. Um, they also um, liked the idea of identifying themselves as uh, lawyers. And um, whereas, quite frankly, I have been thrilled to be able to identify myself as a mediator and have done so for the last 20 years or so, um, you get a lot more interesting responses to somebody sitting next to you on an airplane when they ask you what you do and you say you're a mediator than if you say, well, I'm a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Predictably. All right, so you and I are both family mediators, so we Mm. both know very well the advantages of family mediation, that that instead of fighting against each other, the two, the husband and wife or you know, the, the couple are working together to figure out what's the best way they can move forward to the next part of their lives. Um, and it takes a lot less time. It's a lot less hostile. It's uh, much less expensive than taking an adversarial route. So knowing all that, you would think that everybody would jump on the bandwagon and say, yes, if we are going to get divorced, this is the way to do it. And you that would, would be the, the first choice approach. But that hasn't happened yet. Do you have any ideas about why? Uh, absolutely. Um, first, first, let me say that I, I think that there are um, sort of three foundation points uh, that, that uh, point to why a mediated approach <clears throat> uh, w- should be the, um, uh, the first choice that uh, people going through um, reconstruction of their family systems uh, should adopt. One approach, I mean, first issue would be because of the benefit on the children. Um, The data is unequivocally clear that the best thing for kids is the absence of conflict between their parents. And uh, most people going through the trauma of a long-term relationship emotional breakup um, do not have the objectivity to be able to manage the emotions they go through and, and parent at the same time. And so, unfortunately, kids are very much impacted by parents, particularly when they're going through an adversarial divorce. So the idea that their parents would 
cooperate with one another and work constructively with one another uh, enormously reduces the emotional impact on on the children. So that's <clears throat> excuse me. That would be I think the the primary reason. A second reason is financial. Um, there's simply no question that a mediation that is done well will, first of all, uh, cost the parties a lot less money. But without regard to specifically its cost, the outcome that the parties stand to benefit from is enormously enhanced when they're cooperating with one another to bring more solutions to the table rather than fight with one another over the limited solutions that they see on the table. So there's a financial benefit to the parties that is just um, unmistakable. And the third reason would be uh, autonomy, that, that uh, every state has a set of rules that the legislature passed and interpretations of those rules by their appellate court systems, which are designed to give judges the ability to listen to the disputes that are brought in front of them and impose orders on those disputes that theoretically end them. <clears throat> now, we, we know clearly that they never end them. They just simply uh, bring a period to an issue that is right in front of the judge at the moment, but there's typically a winning party and a losing party or two losing parties. So the idea that, um, I mean, one of the questions that I ask clients when they come in is, what have you seen the state of California do lately that you think is noteworthy? Why would you embrace the state's idea of what your divorce should look like? I mean, knowing in particular that the legislature had no intention of trying to create a system that gave people their best results. It really is a system that is intended to create an end game, an institutionalized end game. In other words, if you don't agree, you'll end up in court. And then give judges the power to impose orders to theoretically stop the dispute. Well, who in their right mind would pick that kind of an approach if you were putting together a business or a financial partnership or a marriage? And yet, that's what people blindly do at the end. Now, the question you asked also was why. I think the reason why is because it is a... It is an emotional response to the fear and the anxiety and the trepidation that people are feeling in the face of not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing perhaps whether the relationship is really going to end, not knowing if it does end or if one of the parties clearly wants it to end, not knowing if um, how, how the finances are going to be handled or what the co-parenting is going to look like or what's going to happen to the family residence. And typically those fears tend to drive people to someone who will give them assurances and answers. And so for those people who, well, well, before I, before I go on with that, one of the things that I find is, is somewhat endemic is the, the support system, the people that I call the Greek chorus um, around um, both parties to the divorce are almost uniform in suggesting because they have they see their friend in pain, they see their friend in anxiety, they have no real answer as to what they should do on a meaningful level, and so they give a knee-jerk reaction, which is, well, you ought to go see a good lawyer. Uh, and and the reality is is that that just simply guides them then into a person who works in a process that treats the procedure of divorce as a battle to win or or a circumstance to take advantage of, even if they're not necessarily ter- totally adversarial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so the whole notion of negotiation in the uh, adjudicatory model, in the court system, the traditional divorce, 
is one that is a zero-sum game. It assumes that there's five marbles, and whoever gets three can say they won. Right. Okay. Wait, Chip, I'm going to interrupt you because we have only a couple of minutes left in the time that we planned to talk. And I want to get to the question of why don't people know yet? How is it that we didn't educate the public so they know there's a much better way to approach this problem? Well, uh, without regard to what's happened in the past, uh, I, I mean, mediators by their nature um, of the people who self-select to do this kind of work are not necessarily uh, business-focused or business-oriented. And so I, I think there's been a lack of attention paid toward educating the public and uh, informing them and making the public aware of uh, the benefits of mediation. Now, that said, I will tell you that in my relatively small community uh, where there are only probably 30 family law professionals in the county that I um, reside in. Um, There are now, I would guess, at least 10 or 15 of those people who now say they mediate. I mean, for years, there were two or three of us uh, total. So the very fact that, um, uh, by the way, this coincides with the fact that 90% of the people going through our court system are, are in pro se or in pro per, as we call it in California. No, they're unrepresented. And they're unrepresented in large part because the public really hasn't recovered from the uh, economic downturn that we went through, and they just don't want to pay for legal services. Well, that's having the effect of driving more family law professionals towards considering mediation and offering mediation services. I mean, the phone book is now replete with that. So it may just be that it's something that's taking a lot longer than any of us might have hoped for. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the question of uh, whether how how lawyers become mediators and whether they're really well able to provide mediation services that are the way you and I think they ought to be mm-hmm. is a big one. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to come back to it on another occasion or in another segment of the show. <laughs> be happy to share that conversation with you sometime. Uh, okay, thank you, Chip. Thanks very much, Virginia. Bye bye. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, Visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Family members too often find themselves in court arguing about separation, parenting schedules, financial issues, divorce, estates, or care of an elderly relative. There's a better way to solve a family problem. Work with a professional mediator in private, confidential meetings. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You 
You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin, welcoming you back to Family Matters, where now I'm going to be talking with Marilyn McKnight of Erickson Mediation. Marilyn, very briefly, where is your practice and how long have you been doing family mediation? Uh, Our practice is in Minneapolis, uh, actually the southern suburb of uh, Bloomington. And uh, we opened our practice, we were told we were the third to open in the country, back in 1977. So, uh, quite some time ago. Okay, I better ask you who the other half of we is. Um, uh, my partner and husband, Steve Erickson, who is an attorney who quit practicing law in 1980 because he felt it was unethical to represent a family member against another family member. So, yeah, we I- have together been doing this. Okay. Yeah, I have heard him say that. I love it. Yeah. Um, Okay, so Chip Rose and I were talking about uh, why family mediation, why the world doesn't know that family mediation is the way to go. If you have to be separating and divorcing, or you choose to be separating and divorcing, this is a much better process than hiring a couple of lawyers to help you fight with each other. I'm going to ask you, what sort of training should people be getting and what sort of training do they get if they're going to claim to be family mediators? And how can a member of the public tell what kind of mediator they're getting? Oh, uh, good question. The, uh, they should have uh, begin with an initial uh, 40, what's called a 40-hour training uh, and uh, basic training. And what we always tell the people we work with uh, when we train is that what you need to do is self-evaluate uh, the areas where you need more work just to begin. And so uh, you might need work uh, to work with a financial planner. Uh, you might uh, need to work with a therapist to begin to understand all of what you need to know in order to mediate a divorce. You really need to know about emotional divorce process. You need to know about the effects of divorce on kids. You need to understand uh, finances and uh, spreadsheets and that sort of thing. You need to be able to uh, do a lot of the more sophisticated programs with your clients so that they uh, are getting the very best uh, mediation possible, and those programs are usually tax planners and that sort of thing. So a mediator who's just taken a 40-hour course, which is really what a lot of the courts around the country require, uh, isn't a mediator. They are uh, just beginning to uh, mediate a little bit, and they should always do that only uh, with a co-mediator or uh, as an observer uh, for quite some period of time before they actually take a case. Uh, there are many lawyers, though, who when clients go and, and ask about divorce and then they say, but we really think we want to do mediation, they say, oh, well, I'm a mediator. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate because uh, unless they're a professional mediator and that's what they do with their time, their professional time, 
the majority of it, uh, they're not a mediator. So I, I always uh, ask uh, people who are inquiring to really ask a lot of questions about that. Or of any other mediator, uh, are they... Uh, it, have they just taken a course and they, they're kind of dabbling? Uh, those are not the people that should be out there mediating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in APFM has written a set of standards for mediators, mm-hmm. which includes right. things like the importance of self-determination. It's the parties right. who are deciding what their future is going to be, not mm-hmm. the mediator telling them what they ought to do. Yeah. Uh, you want to mention a couple of other uh, things that are standards for the best family mediators and they're things that lawyers initially making the transition to mediation might not be in the habit of doing? Well, I think I think the, the one is that uh, self-determination. Uh, lawyers are very often there to advise and tell people what they should do. They often will have people in separate rooms and then go back and forth and then come up with what they think they should do. And mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't help people very much. When they make their own decisions, they follow their own decisions. They don't yeah. go back to court even. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that go having ahead. the people in separate rooms and going back and forth, that's a little bit like conducting a settlement conference, except that there's only one attorney doing it. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Okay, and that is a uh, something that I know I do on occasion when I'm working with people whose emotions are just too raw and they can't be in the same right. room together. So I don't want to yeah. say that that's a terrible thing to do. But the first choice thing is to have the people in the same room so that they are increasing their ability to talk with each other, even about things mm-hmm. that are hard to talk about. And that's That's right. And a good mediator will be able to, at times, um, separate people uh, because emotionally they need to uh, be separate and, and work with them, but you're never advising or making decisions for them or telling mm-hmm. them what's best for them. I mean, that, that's the distinction. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of us mediators, will, we will always, um, from time to time, meet with people separately if that's what's called for in the moment because of the emotions uh, or feelings or whatever's going on. Yeah, or sometimes because the the information that people are saying out loud doesn't quite add up and you need to find out a little more about the backstory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um, Chip says that in his part of California, Somewhere close to 90% of people who are getting divorced handle it on their own without attorneys at all. What's it mm-hmm. like in Minnesota? Um, that's the same with our, our uh, practice. Um, most of the people do not want to have attorneys. In fact, they always ask at an informational session, well, you know, do we have to have attorneys? Should we file our divorce? And I'll say, no, uh, this is your divorce. You can decide whether or not you want attorneys to represent you in any way. You can decide uh, when you want to file. The only caution I have about filing is that in our court, uh, when people file for a divorce, a lot of court things get in motion, and uh, they're often swept into a court process. So I give them a bit of a warning about that. 
Okay. Yeah, I have... I have experienced that in my own divorce, which was nothing like I expected it to be. And mm-hmm. uh, I've also seen it happen to other people. Yeah. Uh, let's, talk, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the Academy of Professional Family Mediators. Why do right. we need to have an organization like this? Well, most professions have uh, a professional organization. We had... AFM, in, uh, which started in 1981. It was a wonderful mediation professional organization. And uh, we had uh, members uh, from all over the world, thousands of members. It was a very, very good organization. Uh, but as, as the field got more, I would say, in, infiltrated with um, a lot of lawyers kind of dabbling, uh, we got a little bit lost as a profession. And then in 2000, we joined a couple of other professional or mediation organizations and decided to have uh, one organization for everyone. And we got very lost because then uh, the mediation aspect of what we do was, was not what that organization was about. It was about conflict resolution, very, very broad topic. So in 2011 and 12. Some of us got together and said, you know, we absolutely need a family mediation organization once again, but I think we should call it the Academy of Professional Family Mediators uh, because that just made a whole lot more sense. Um, Because what we are doing is building a profession, and uh, we also have a sister organization called the Professional Mediation Board of Standards, which is developing um, a a certification test for family mediators who are uh, practicing, and then they will take the test, and then they will be certified uh, in a process that is uh, valid, reliable, legally defensible, a very, very good certification process. So that the public will then understand that that uh, there is a profession of family mediators. Okay, so that's important. So we're making it analogous to the American Psychological Association, or right. you know, passing the bar exam mm-hmm. and you know, well, demonstrating. No, 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 not like not, not like the bar exam. Nope. They, no, they 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 have not gone through um, this kind of a certification exam at all. They, okay. have, they just regulate their own exam. Oh, okay. All right. So we're looking for something that's the the mediation equivalent of the APA. <laughs> uh, right, so, exactly. Or uh, the NASW uh, social workers. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. Also an excellent example. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how... It's maybe worth mentioning that at present there is no regulation... Uh, or very little regulation of who can claim to be a family mediator. Almost anybody in almost any state can hang out a shingle and say, I'm a family mediator. Right. What What should a member of the public do to figure out whether somebody is well qualified to provide the services that they need? Well, I think you, I think you need to ask um, a lot of questions. But you, you also need to ask if they belong to the National Professional Organization. Because when you belong to the organization, you uh, 
agree that you will uh, practice under the standards of practice of the academy. And that's very, very, very important. So uh, I would say that would be number one. Um, if they're just beginning, I, I think people need to ask if they have supervisors or, uh, you know, how, how are they qualified to mediate? Okay. We're, we're, we're almost at the end of our time. What mm-hmm. last couple of things do you want the public to know about family mediation or about APFM? Um, I think what I want people to know is that divorce is not a legal problem. It's a family problem and that it really is best uh, re- uh, handled by mediators, uh, a professional mediator sitting with a couple working out all the terms of their divorce is a much, much more constructive way to get to a divorce settlement. All right. Thank you very much, Marilyn McKnight. It's been really good to have you on the show. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, on Family Matters, where today we're talking about the Academy of Professional Family Mediators. My guest right now is Ken Newman. Ken has been mediating for about 30 years and has been training other people to become family mediators also for a very long time. Ken, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's good to have you here. Where is your practice now? It's in Manhattan. In Manhattan, okay. In New York so, City, yes. And if people wanted to find you, where should they look online? Uh, at it's the Center for Mediation and Training, and the website is divorcemediation.com. Uh, that's how long we've been here, so we, well, we got that a long time ago, divorcemediation.com. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, our focus today um, initially is on the Academy of Professional Family Mediators. I know that you were one of the creators of this organization. And I'd just like to hear a little from you about why you thought it was important to create this organization and what are your hopes for what APFM might accomplish in the next five years? 
Well, I think uh, the uh, organization first existed as the Academy of Family Mediators, which was started, I think, in 1981 or 1982. And then around the year 2000 or so, the Academy of Family Mediators joined with other mediation organizations and formed a larger, broader, generalized mediation organization that had family mediators, commercial mediators, business mediators, environmental mediators, educational mediators, all in one organization. And I think many of us felt that this new organization was not meeting the needs, particularly of family mediators, and several of us then got together and decided that we needed to, in a sense, reform the Academy of Family Mediators, but now it was many years later, and we decided that the correct name would be the Academy of Professional Family Mediators, because now, 30 years later, we really have come a long way, and we feel that we're a profession. We work hard to be a profession. Uh, We see ourselves as unique, even though many of us come from other backgrounds, such as uh, therapy, law, accounting, education, we uh, feel that we form a unique field of professional family mediators, and we needed an organization to bring us there. Uh, and and we're re, we re-established what was there from uh, 30 years ago, actually, more. Okay. Is it easy for you to say what it is that makes the work we do that has the characteristics of this being a profession rather than just some other kind of job or thing that people do? Well, I think, you know, if you look up uh, what a profession is, it's a group of people who have met various training requirements. They share a body of common knowledge. They have standards and ethics that they follow. They have continuing education. It certainly makes it a profession rather than just, oh, a subspecialty that someone might do in their other work. It's a distinct profession uh, to be a family mediator, in my opinion, and, and of course, in many of our opinions. Yes, as you know, I agree. <laughs> yes, I, um, I assume so, and I, I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. Okay, yeah, you and I are both founding members, I believe, of the Academy of Professional Family Mediators from a financial perspective. You're a real founding member from the let's figure out how to do this perspective. Um, yes. And I, I think that in the beginning, a lot of the focus was on professional family mediators getting together and helping each other establish the profession and support each other in our work. And recently, APFM has been shifting, trying to think, how will the public benefit from the work that we do? Because one of the things that we do want to do is educate the public about family mediation. So I want to ask my second question again. What are you hoping that APFM will accomplish in, say, the next five years? Well, I think what you're asking, and I think most professional organizations, certainly the ones I've seen in the mediation field, whether it was the Academy of Family Mediators or the Academy of Professional Family Mediators or most state mediation organizations, are so focused 
on their membership and educating their members that I think there's been a de-emphasis or a lack of emphasis, I should say, rather than a de-emphasis on our real job, which is to let the public know that we're here, what we do through our website. We've made attempts to do it, but I think it's fallen really short uh, because the emphasis just hasn't been there. And uh, many other professional organizations that one can look at have very actively promoted the profession, and we've seen real movement where that's been the case. And we need to take us forward, and that has to be a major emphasis of uh, APFM, certainly. Mm -hmm. Do you have any specific ideas about what APFM could do to help spread the word. Mediation exists. We do great work. We can help you solve problems in your family. Well, I think, you know, today one of the things that people really would look for is a website, uh, you know, social media. Uh, I think we have to get, we have to raise money in order to get that word out. You know, we can't take ads in um, magazines, though sometimes people do that. I think it's going to be a very complex, several-pronged approach based on a website and a way of perhaps when people Google divorce, uh, we pay for Google words that get us to divorce mediation. That will be one thing to do on the website. I don't mean Mm -hmm. to give a plug to Google words, but certainly uh, (laughs) people are familiar enough with it. And and, and many other things, and uh, this is not my field of expertise, but certainly there are people whose field of expertise it is. We have to uh, increase our membership, uh, raise money in any number of ways, through conferences, through uh, films perhaps, through other media, and and then uh, really make an all-out effort to get people to us and then have public, ser- uh, public service announcements would be a very obvious thing, and I don't know why that hasn't been done. Uh, well, actually, are, we do have a PSA on this very radio show, a public service announcement. Ah, well, that's, that's really good to hear. <laughs> and, of course, you know, all, I believe, all uh, stations that have FCC licenses are required to make some time available for PSA. It was, it was good to get it here, but it would be good to get it on a radio lot of stations throughout the country, <laughs> through TV stations. But you need to hire, you know, it's not just going to happen. We need to have uh, money and hire people to do that because that one of the limitations of a volunteer-based organization is that volunteers have very little time. So you need to get paid staff, and the paid staff then does such things because they're very time-intensive, obviously. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk, uh, let's address ourselves more to the people who might need help from a professional family mediator. Um, There are a lot of people who say that they're offering mediation services, and some of them are lawyers with not much training in mediation. Some of them are retired judges. Some of them are you know, relatively inexperienced volunteers. What advice could you give to a person who's looking for a professional family mediator? How, how can they tell whether they've found the right kind of mediator? Well, that's always a really good question. I think you'd want to ask someone, you know, how long have they been, I guess with anything, how long have they been doing this? You know, how many cases have they done? You know, you don't want to be someone's first case. How long have they been doing mediation? 
how long, um, when did they first get trained. We're assuming people are a member either of the national organization, APFM, but I would also look to see if people are members. If you're really serious, you're not just a member of a national organization. You're a member of a state mediation organization. You're a member of a local mediation organization, uh, if there's there's one. So I think uh, a real committed uh, family mediator will belong to any number of organizations to show that. Someone who doesn't belong to any organization would not, in my opinion, be taken seriously by other mediators and would not be someone who I would be referring anyone to. You know, you go to websites of uh, the academy or of your state mediation organization, and most such uh, websites have places uh, for referrals. You know, find a mediator is always one of the things. And then you put in your county, for example, and you get listings of people. I'd want to know basically how long have you been doing this, how many cases do you have. It's going to be hard to get a reference from a previous client, obviously. So we can't rely on that at this point, I don't believe. Mm. Yeah, a few people have managed to do that, but... uh you know, it's it's personal stuff. So some people don't. Yeah, I would look. Be- at, I would tell you this. I would look at a scans at someone who would have, have someone do that between you and me. But uh, I guess. <laughs> oh, you're gonna have to look at scans at me, Ken. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. I. I'll, I'll it's, okay. it's okay. It's no, okay. Only only the people who volunteer to do it do it, and yeah, I never thought willing, to ask so. someone. <laughs> I never thought to ask someone to do it, uh, but I may reconsider that. Thank you, Virginia, for this. <laughs> Okay, Um, we have a couple of minutes left before we go to break. I'm asking everybody on this show today about pro se divorce. How common is it in your area, in Manhattan, for people to get divorced without having attorneys to represent them? I don't have, it's really hard to have statistics on that. It's, I think, probably much less common here in Manhattan than it is in other places around the country. My understanding from speaking to colleagues from around the country that it's fairly common percentage-wise. My own experience from knowing people here is uh, that pro se divorce without a mediator or without attorneys, for example, is very rare in Manhattan. People, can go, people go pro se often. We see clients in many situations so while we advise people to have attorney review, uh, for example, uh, in many situations, well, people do people choose not to have attorney review. Now, if you call, I don't imagine you meant. I don't know if you meant that as a pro se divorce where there's a mediator and no attorneys. But if that's the case, I see many cases that just come to see me or other mediators, and in fact. We have a neutral attorney drafting the papers, and the people don't uh, have the case reviewed by an individual re- attorney. That's not uncommon. I don't okay. know the percentages, 30%, 40%. It's fairly high in some places. Uh, but not having a mediator and doing it yourself, it's hard to picture how, mo- how many people would really know how to do that in yeah. an adequate and way. You know, it's that still is, important that's to do an wrong. important distinction because not having an attorney represent you is different from not having a conversation with an attorney at all. And working mostly with a mediator and then having an attorney review the agreement can work well for a great many people. We see that as the favorite way of doing it generally is to have, um, you know, ha- have a mediator 
and then have attorney review. Attorney, the attorneys in that situation are not part of the process. Uh, from the very beginning, they come in at the end. We call them review attorneys. There's another process called team mediation that I've developed over the years, uh, the website being teammediation.org, where people have attorneys as part of the process from the very beginning, yet it's a process that the mediator is uh, in charge of and hosting, so to speak, and the attorneys are there uh, to consult with, and not at the end, but earlier on. So we bring attorneys in as needed uh, when, when and when clients want them, of course. Okay, super. Um, we are going to take a break now. Is there one last little thing you want to say first before you go? Well, I think people should start this dialogue. I don't know if people can call in or write us. Uh, people should feel free to reach out to any mediators in their area and ask questions. Most mediators are really glad to tell about this. We're still at the stage where not everyone knows about it. Uh, when we started out, we've come a long way. When we started out in the early 80s, uh, people said, oh, divorce meditation, what's that? <laughs> and, and, and so I'm really glad that we are at least at, oh, divorce mediation, oh, I know what that is. So we've come a long way, and uh, we should be looking uh, as to how much further we have to go. It's going to be okay. an exciting time. Thanks. I feel mediation has reached a critical mass where a majority of the population understands it. Okay, thanks very much, Ken. We're going to go to break now. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Sadly, that's wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, or co-parenting, there is a better way. Family mediation. Save time, save money, and make good plans for your children. Visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radioshow at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin. And my next guest in this uh, discussion of the Academy of Professional Family Mediators and the field of professional family mediation is Stacy Langenbahn. Stacy is the president of Detente Mediation Services in Colleyville, Texas. And she is, like the rest of us on this show, a member of the board of directors for the Academy of Professional Family Mediators. Welcome to the show, Stacy. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. It's really great to have you. So I'm going to ask you some of the same things I've asked other folks. Let's let's start with the general public this time. How how can the public benefit from the work that the Academy of Professional Family Mediators is planning to do? 
Well, I believe, honestly, that the public is best served when they realize that they have the ability to control the cost and the decision-making in their own family matters. But it takes certain professionals who are well-trained, well-educated, and experienced to provide those kinds of services to benefit the public. So APFM does a great job of bringing together lawyers, financial professionals, mental health professionals, um, also people who are, who are in business for themselves, who don't have any of those credentials, who, but who are fabulous uh, mediators and have the ability to help the public understand how to negotiate, how to develop options for what they can do with their divorces or their, or their family matters. And so it's very important that the public knows where they can find mediators who have invested their time and energy. And so the APFM is a great place for the public to go and search for mediators and a great place for the APFM to produce information that's good for the public so that they have working knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you and I both know that that is in our plans, that we want to be much more active than we have been in the past about making information available to people so that they know these services are out there and, you know, professionals will help you make the decisions you need to make in a way that leaves you in control. Absolutely, and I believe that's one of the missions of APFM is to make certain that we provide to mediators an outlet or a manner by which to communicate to the public these benefits so that the public knows and understands where to find them. It's a very important mission of ours. Okay. Uh, The second thing I've been doing a lot in today's show is asking people about um, pro se uh, processes, um, which, well, I guess I'm asking what, I'll ask a different way. In your area, in your part of Texas, mm-hmm. how common is it for people to get divorced without having attorneys to represent them? I will tell you that in my county in particular, and I'm in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, in my county in particular, The last statistic I heard was that around 65% of all of the divorces that are filed are handled by people without attorneys. And I would imagine that that number has likely increased even since that statistic, which I heard about a year ago. And the reason why I think that it's so much higher is because I believe this latest recession has done a lot to have people become much more conscientious about how they spend their money And in the same period of time that we've had recession when people have lost jobs and have had a lot less money to spend on the traditional legal system that they had probably become used to using or had expected to use in divorce and now didn't have the money to do that, the same time that that was happening, we've also had a huge technology boom. So people are able to go and research a lot more easily and find options for how to do it differently because mediators and uh, more forward-thinking attorneys, particularly collaborative lawyers, have been able to tell the public what they offer, Mm -hmm. which is a different kind of system from what the traditional beat-em-up, tear-em-apart litigation system has been traditionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have that same impression. There are 
more people who are thinking, I really can't afford to pay an attorney um, or thinking, I don't, I don't like what I hear about divorce attorneys. I don't like the way people get so angry at each other and, and just fight with each other for years. So I would like to find a better way to get divorced. And then, you know, if they're lucky, they do find out that professional family mediators are available. My clients tell me that as well. Yeah. They come in and, and it, they say, the reason why I want to have a mediator is because I have a fear that if attorneys get involved, they're going to stir up conflict, that they're going to be very expensive. And we are trying to work this out so that we can preserve a relationship between the two of us. If we have children, we would really like to make it so that the children never feel like they have to choose between us. Mm-hmm. And so they come to see me knowing that I, I am a legal professional. So I sit down with them when I do that work and I tell them, look, I can't cross over and give you legal advice and tell you what to do because one lawyer cannot sit with two people on an opposite side of divorce and represent one or the other of you. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't work for one lawyer to do that. If a lawyer does that, they have to represent only one of the people and the other one doesn't get any service. But if you sit as a legal professional or another professional, but as a mediator, like for me, I can give legal information to people. I can tell them what the law says from a neutral perspective, not spinning it for one or the other. Mm-hmm. And people who come to see me, just like I'm sure when they come to see you, are looking for the answers to some basic questions. What do I have to do to get a valid divorce in the state of Texas where I am or where you are? How do I find out enough about the law to understand what it is and what it says so that I know whether I'm negotiating better than the law, about what the law offers, or I'm not getting what the law would offer? And then how do I talk to my spouse about that at a time when it's the hardest decision-making we've ever had to do and most important, but it's so emotional, how do we get through it? And that's really what they're looking for. Yep. Yeah, and and it is wonderful for people to know what I didn't know when I was getting divorced, that you can just work with a mediator and the two people, the husband and wife, or wife and wife and husband and husband in some cases, can the the people, the family makes the decisions. You can write your own terms of divorce. And in my state, the mediator can write it for you even if the mediator is not an attorney. It's legal for us to do that. And then we do recommend that you have an attorney look it over before you sign it because as mediators, we're not allowed to give legal advice. And this is a big deal. You should talk to a lawyer before you sign it. I agree with that. In our state, we have an ethics rule that says that the mediators, even if they're attorneys, are not supposed to write the divorce paperwork. We can write a settlement agreement that's binding under the law between the parties, but not the divorce paperwork or the whatever family matter paperwork they need. But what I think is also important to add is that the clients can make their own decisions, but they also need to know how the court would enforce those decisions because sometimes people want to make agreements that simply don't have any teeth. Mm -hmm. And it's important for them to know that if they want to make an agreement like that, that's okay, except... That if, they, if it falls apart and they want the court to support them, they need to understand whether the court has a mechanism to do that under the law or doesn't. 
And so it can be really valuable for people to have a lawyer or a legal uh, a mediator who's a legal professional to be able to help them understand what the inf- not only what the law says and what their options are, but how is it enforced if somebody doesn't abide by the agreements that they have, have said that they would. Okay. We have one minute left. What else would you like the world to know about either the Academy of Professional Family Mediators or the field? The floor is yours. The thing that I think is most important for people to know is that their options are limitless when they go into mediation because they have the ability to be creative in their solutions. They know their family best, and they know what kinds of agreements and circumstances and parenting time and decision-making and how money is spent, they know those decisions and circumstances so much better than anyone else that if they don't take advantage of them, then they may find that they'll have decisions forced on them that really don't work for them. And that Mm -hmm. would be tragic. Mm -hmm. So I encourage people to think about coming forward, looking for professionals who have that same goal for them and seeking them out and being very judicious about who they choose and then going forward and trying to negotiate their best, their best outcomes. Okay. I do want to thank you, Stacy Langenbahn. If people want to find you online, where should they look? Well, Ken may have reserved divorcemediation.com, but I reserved divorcemediationtexas.com. <laughs> so that's <laughs> where you go. can find me. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, Stacy. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.